Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, home of the modern whitetail hunter. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. I'm your host, Tony Peterson, and today I'm speaking to the one and only Zach Farenbaugh from The Hunting Public. All right, folks, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. You've probably figured out that this is not the voice of Mark Kenyon. Mark is actually on his ninth vacation of the year this week, so I hope he enjoys himself. He left me a voicemail last week and mentioned that he and Spencer were headed to Florida to collect seashells and shark's teeth on the beach. He said so they could put them on display in shadow boxes they bought at Hobby Lobby or something. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I do hope those boys find some cool stuff on the beach, I guess, and that they use plenty of sunscreen. Today, I'm keeping this going alive and well with the one and only Zach Farenbaugh. Zach is most well-known for killing big bucks on public land from the ground, but we're not going to get into that too much in this show. Instead, we actually dive into Zach's thoughts on the hunting media, trail cameras, what people think about big bucks, and really why his contrarian mindset helps him overcome some of the most difficult deer in the country. This episode is just fun from start to finish. I think you're going to love it. Zach Farenbaugh, how the hell are you, buddy? Doing well, man. Just, well, I don't know. I say <laughs> I'm doing well. I uh, feel like I'm a little stressed out preseason stuff, but yeah, does, that happens every year to me. It's like I should be, I should expect it more than what I do, but then every year I'm like, oh, damn, I got a lot of stuff. I got to get done editing stuff. I got to plan out the season and just all that stuff is gets to my it's to where it's just running through my head all day. <laughs> yeah, dude. My my wife asked me the other day. She's like, "You're really spun up lately." And I'm like, "Every year, you know, you get to you get to this certain point in the year, and it's like, 
I haven't shot enough. I haven't yeah. scouted enough. I, you know, I drew this tag, but I didn't draw this tag or where am I going in this week in October? And I know mm-hmm. it's dumb stuff to bitch about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know it's first world problems, but it like, totally. I become just like you, like I become this kind of like little ball of anxiety as the, and then once you get into the season, it's just sort of like, oh, go with yeah. the flow. It's so much easier once season starts to, to yeah, go with the flow and you're just like not worried. And I think, I think part of that is just, the anticipation in a way is so extreme that it, it creates stress. Like I'm ready to do it because it's so fun and I know it's going to be fun once it's here, but I just continue to get more and more stressed. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter at all. It'll work itself out. It always does. <laughs> Are you, do you, uh, do you still love it? Like the filming? Uh, yeah, I definitely do. do you? The only thing that I would say I was telling you a little bit before it's just the, the the editing can be a little extreme at times. And there's waves of it that are worse than others. So again, I'm complaining. And it's always been that way, though, for me, where it's like, I'm, I always want to be out there hunting or filming. I don't like there being a season open and sitting at home. And if I'm sitting at home, I want to hang out with my girlfriend or my friends or whatever. And like, take a break, not not sit at the editor for, you know. 24 hours straight. <laughs> yeah. Editing. Uh, that's, that's the dirty little secret about when you make content like that. Editing video sucks so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there's parts of it that I do like, and there's times where I'm really proud of certain projects, but there's also stuff like in the middle of the season that I feel like I'm just getting through it just to get through it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's so. a, there's a editing. That stuff is a heavier lift than people probably assume. And you know, I, I'm pretty good buddies with Tom Miranda and mm-hmm. you know, he's, produced a billion different TV shows. And that dude is up at three o'clock in the morning every day editing and until like the normal world wakes up and that's Mm -hmm. his, you know, and, and when you talk to him about it, you know, he's been all over the world and killed everything that he can. And, you know, people think that that's like the bulk of his job and he spends more time sitting in that editing suite in his house Mm -hmm. than anything else. Cause it's just, if you want a good product, like there's no, it's just like writing a book, like writing a rough draft of a book, you know, if you're a writer, it's not that bad. Like it's a couple months and you're like, okay, sweet. And then you get into the editing process and you're like, God, this sucks so much. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, I think that's the part about it is it's so repetitive. Like watching it the first time I always explain is like watching game film. Like if you played any like sports, there's always the opportunity to watch game film to see what you did, what your opponent's doing, how to adjust for the future. It's the same thing in hunting. When you sit there and you watch the mistakes that you made, you can just really break down every tiny little move. And it's really fun when you do it that first initial rough cut. But then when it starts to get to the point where you're the only one looking at the rough cut, then the second cut, then the third cut, and you need to continue to it up just keep it over and over and over again, that's when it starts to get exhausting. <laughs> Yeah. It's a, it's a tedious process that, uh, that, that idea of, you know, paying attention to your mistakes and, you know, kind of reviewing a hunt. I mean, that, that's one of the cool things about filming is you get to see when you missed and what, you know, like in your head you go, Oh, the deer was doing this. And then you get to watch it and you go, no, I remember this wrong. Like I, and I think it's such a good lesson there, especially for encounters. Cause you're like, Oh, you know, like this, this only lasted 
30 seconds and it was a five minute encounter or vice versa, or I must've been drawn on that deer for two minutes. And then you watch it and you were like, yeah, that was 12 seconds, bro. Like <laughs> yeah, in, yeah. in your head, you spun out and you were, you were like, I got to make this shit happen now. Mm-hmm. And then you watch it play out how it actually happened and not how your worked up buck fever brain took it. It's totally different so many times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I just always crack up at the things that I'm able to pick up going back through it. And it's funny too, because you know, my friends that aren't doing it, for example, like, uh, my friend Ben, who I spent a bunch of time hunting with and, and, uh, he's, he lives in Ohio. It'll be like, you know, a week after and like, he's already kind of gone back to work and he's doing, you know, doing other life things at that point, And I'm still calling him like, okay, do you remember, if, you know, at nine in the morning when we went up over that ridge and we saw this, I think the reason that we saw that is, is this, this, and this. And it's just because I'm sitting there watching it over and over again. And and it's just hilarious what, yeah. what you learn. So there's pros and cons to it for sure. There are for sure. And I, th- I think the bigger lesson there is to really just face all your screw ups and like, you have learn- to. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and it, but you know, when you, when you look at, you know, you, and this happens to you all the time and I know it does where you, you do a show, you're at the deer classic or something. Everybody tells you their hunting story. And, you know, A, they want to tell you about the big one they got, and they want to tell you about the big one they almost got. And you hear, aside from hearing poaching stories all the time, which blows my mind, (laughs) you hear, you know, the, the, oh, my arrow deflected or he dropped the string or I used the wrong pin or like some excuse all the time. And, you know, like I'm not a therapist, right? I'm an idiot who writes squirrel hunting articles, but like (laughs) I listen to that and I go, I think you'd be better off being honest about this and just going. Cause that's, you know, like. When you think about the stuff that stings, like the, the mistakes you made, that makes you not want to make them again. Like failure mm-hmm. is a powerful motivator. And if yeah. you kind of like brush it aside or dismiss it as like an excuse, like, like, oh, you know, this was out of my control. That, it doesn't take you anywhere, mm-hmm. you know? But if you're yeah. like, man, I, that I, I should have had that buck dead and I didn't because I made a dumb decision, mm-hmm. man, use that shit. Cause it's going to work for yeah. you in the future. Yeah. And I think I, you know, while you learn something from every experience, good or bad, I've always said in hunting, especially you learn best from your hard failure. And it's funny, you know, nobody wants to fail, but somebody that consistently fails is going to learn things really fast. And like, it's almost like, it's almost like in a way you want to have, you know, probably 70% throughout the season, major screw ups. And then about 30% of, you know what I mean? Of success yeah. or that would be ideal, but it's like, you just have to take those mistakes and yeah, break them down and look at, you know, not just mistakes too, is in the, in the moment mistakes, but okay. Did we really need to back out of that spot yet? Or should we have kept going and looked for, you know, more sign? And it's like, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes, you know, you, you, leave the area when you shouldn't have maybe sometimes you should have just like one thing that I always struggle with is or I've been struggling with specifically is I feel like I know in some, some areas I've been hunting and hilly terrain I keep thinking like I know where these deer are but I keep spooking them and why am I doing that and it's like I can keep lying to myself and making some excuse but it's like okay but what am I doing wrong why do I keep doing this you know and I I think I think, I think I've come up with a few answers on that, but it's going to have to test it this year to see, but 
you know, it's just, yeah, you got to just be honest with yourself and like really break that down. And to be, to be honest, that's pretty fun to me. I really like going back and looking at all those things that I question about what we were doing or mistakes and definitely make you learn. It's, it's a nice place to be in where even when you make a major mistake, it doesn't like ruin your season where you're just like, okay, this, you know, this is, this was always coming. Like at some point this was going to hit me again and I was going to do this. So uh, on that note, what's, what's the one that haunts you the most, which, which big buck encounter can you think back to that brings a little tear to your eye? And you're like that one, I just blew it. There's two, there's two that were kind of like right in the same window. So I was in Ohio in 2020. It spent quite a bit of time trying to find a hot spot during the rut. Like my style is kind of just cruise around, find a bunch of sign and start hanging out in that area more in a nutshell and finally found it. And, uh, the morning before we had seen at least man out. And and this is abnormal compared to the other days that we have been hunting. We saw like five bucks do the same thing, essentially like cutting across the nose. So we went, there and set up the next morning weren't seeing anything it was going pretty slow and looked down below us on the bench and a buck was cruising that bench parallel to the ridge top that we were right on the top of and uh i tried grunting at him he didn't do anything he just never really paid any attention to that i don't know if he couldn't hear it or you know how that is where you're like he's shit seems like he should have been able to hear it but you don't really know and uh, he ended up making it past us, and we're sitting there contemplating, like, should we chase this thing? Which is my initial reaction always, like, just go for him. But side note, it had been 70, that whole week or 10 days-ish that I was hunting there, it was 70-plus degrees, no wind at all, and just sunny and just beaten down, dead calm, toughest woods conditions I've hunted in up to this point where there was no break in it. It didn't matter if it was first light or an hour, you know, hour after last light. Those leaves were loud and crunchy for every single day we were there. So, you know, again, my initial reaction is we'll just chase this buck. We'll catch up with him. Well, pretty much right away, it was like, well, that's never going to work because while he didn't hear our grunt call, he's going to hear, you know, a couple fools walking across these leaves. And we ended up deciding we're going to rattle because – Okay, take the advantage that they have of the sound and kind of use it against them. And we just made a ton of noise, like a ton of noise. That's something I really like doing. Since I've started ground hunting, I've really gotten into the calling and how much more realistic you can make uh, a sequence because you can add that ground noise. You can basically be a deer as long as they can't see you. You can make all the same sounds they do. So we just started making a buck fight and me and Keith were up on this ridge just rolling around rattling. Well, when I had saw that buck, I put my bow down and it was behind the way I was facing rattling and I rattled too long. And there's two, there's two mistakes made. One, I should have stopped the sequence earlier and listened. And two, I should have not had the damn bow behind me. So I got the bow behind me and I'm rattling too long. Stop rattling. And just as I stop, I look to my right and he's already at like 10 yards far, like, mouth open has sprinted to us and i stop he stops and he looks up there he doesn't see us because you know you're blind and 
he looks around, he doesn't see anything, and he immediately just takes off running right at us. Well, I don't even have time to turn in my setup. I had the cover to do it, but he was on us in two seconds, and he was at, like, literally five yards broadside. And he's standing there looking at us like, what the hell? And he blows and jumped down. He actually ran all the way around us. I was drawn on him. I finally got my bow, got drawn. And then he's like straight behind me, but I can't point my bow that way because that's right where Keith is. And the spot was so perfect. It's, it's a rare spot where we were on a ridge. It was really steep. And the wind was just sailing away. And he just never could smell us. So like he's doing this circle around us. And I, it was just it was all messed up as soon as my bow was behind me. And that's the one that haunts me because it's like, you know, to talk about a gimme. But then, so the reason I kind of lump it into two is because something very similar then happened. This is a little bit shorter story, but we gave it a day, took a breather, kind of did our, what we call the reset day, where kind of get some sleep, get some work done, just reorganize and kind of clear your brain. Because that, I mean, let's be honest, that sucked. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we ended up going back and we were up on that same ridge, but uh, I guess further down the ridge. And it seemed like we should be seeing stuff, but then it was hot and we weren't seeing anything. And we're like, you know what? Let's move down closer to where there's some water. It's a little bit cooler down there, which is a great decision because as soon as we got down there, we got this setup that was like loaded with sign. First time we had been in that exact spot. It was like, Ooh, this is going to be sweet. And in my head, I visualize this buck walking right in front of us, you know, 10 to 20 yards. Perfect. There's all kinds of rubs going just exactly crosswind to us. Perfect. And um, about 1 o'clock, this is November 10th, I think, 1 o'clock, just heard. You don't hear it very often, but when you do, get ready. It's just this crazy grunt. I've really only ever heard it a couple times, and when I do, it's been a big son of a bitch, you know. And he just goes, and I'm like, whoa, like not even normal. And I can tell it's about 100, 150 yards kind of off to our left, down the same creek drainage that we're in. And I wait, Keith's kind of dozing off. I'm like, dude, Buck just grunted like real loud. Something's going on. And uh, I don't know, maybe 10 more minutes went by and he did it again, same spot. And within like five minutes, it was just like you could hear that classic buck just plowing through the woods. And here's this even bigger buck than the couple of days before with the bow behind us. And he's coming right down the trail. He's coming straight towards where I think he's going to come and turn broadside and go right past us. And in my head, it's exactly what he's going to do. I'm getting ready to draw, getting ready to draw. I mean, it just never stops. And he just keeps coming and he ends up at like five yards. And I just never had clear. There was nothing but dead branches between me and him, but I just never put the effort into clearing that spot out because having never been in that exact spot, I didn't know that trail was as heavily used as it was until he went down it. And, uh, yeah, that one got to about there. It was the same deal. Like, what is that? And then, boom, he's gone. You know, had I just had even the slightest little opening at five yards, I would have shot him no matter what the angle was, like he was slightly quartering too, but it, I mean, he was seriously so damn close that those two hurt because they were just back to back. I mean, it was like I had to leave and, and uh, kind of, and I ended up shooting one in gun season there a couple, a couple weeks later with my friend Ben. That was an awesome hunt. And I would have never experienced that had I shot those two bucks. So that's the positive in the story, <laughs> but 
in the moment, those ones were like, dude, what are you doing? Like, just not, just not totally prepared. The bow behind me is the one that's just like, weird. Yeah, that's foolish. Cause I take Such a lot a of pride. Mistake, in, dude. Well, I, t- I know I take <laughs> a lot of pride in being like prepared at all times. <laughs> it was not at all. So yeah. whatever, but those, you learn. but those are the ones that haunt you, right? You know, I mean, if it's a situation where he comes in hot and he might catch your wind and it's, you know, unfolds fast and it doesn't break your way, you're like, well, okay. But when it's yeah. like, he's dead to rights and you make some dumb decision mm-hmm. and it costs you that's, yeah. that hurts so much. Um, you said something there before we get into the, where I really want to go with this. You said something that's important when you're talking about, you know, being on the ground and calling that buck and you just, just reading the conditions and going, listen, you know, the way I want to hunt him ain't going to work. We're not, mm-hmm. you're never going to sneak up on a deer like that. And so you go the opposite direction and, and make some noise. And I know people, mm-hmm. you know, th- this is not a new thing. Like this has been around a while where people are like, listen, if you're going to rattle, Make it sound like there's two bucks fighting. And I think, I think a lot of times people don't he, like, you don't see buck fights that often when you do. Holy shit. Yeah. It's like, you know, I'll, I'll never forget. I had uh, I was on the river out in North Dakota one time and I had two bucks come in behind me and fight in the river. And I think it's the most noise I've ever heard animals make in the wild. Other than maybe mm-hmm. like elk coming down a mountainside or something when they come in hot, like it's like a boulder rolling down. But yeah. those, those bucks, <laughs> They're the noise they made fighting in that shallow river and all those rocks clanking and they, they fought. I was like, this is like so different than every calling sequence. You know what I mean? Like, and you know, I mean, if you're a deer and you live out there all night long with all those other deer, when you hear buck fights, you hear buck fights. You don't hear like tink, 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 like little, or that plasticky, like sound with no ground noise. It's like, no wonder that doesn't work. And I mean, that's not to put anybody at fault. It's just, because like you said, it is hard to experience buck fights. And until you do, you don't really even understand at all how crazy it is. Yeah. Dude. It is crazy. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from planning your next one just got a whole lot easier download the fishing booker app on the google play or app store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today 
or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. I had a I had a moment, man. I, this was like 2002 or something, and I was hunting in Minnesota for the rut. And I remember I, I hung the stand in the dark in this place I wanted to be this ridge top. And you know, then I was like hunting any buck. And I I got set up, you know, I got light out, and I was like, I got a I had a bunch of shit in front of me that I had to get rid of because I'm like, mm-hmm. if I got to shoot over here, and I'm like, how do you do this and not make a bunch of noise? And at that time I had like very little confidence in calling, but I'm like, I'm just going to break this while I grunt and maybe somebody will hear it and think there's a chase going on. Mm-hmm. So I started grunting and I broke these branches off and I looked up and this buck came running, just running. And he stopped right in front of me. I shot him and he ran down the hill and died. And it, at that time, you know, and he wasn't very big, but it was like, holy shit. Like, I can't yeah. believe How that word. Yeah. And it, you know, like when, when you think about stuff like that, it's like, so sometimes we're so cautious. And I think, I think that's one thing that you've shown people maybe more than anybody in the hunting industry is like, listen, you got to be smart about this, but you don't have to be overly cautious. We've been fed this line that you're like, you got to preserve deer movement and you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't (laughs) blow them out of there. And you got to be like, you know, so like surgically precise and you're out there and you're just like, I'm just going to chase them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, and it's like, the danger with that is it looks when you see like an edited version of it, it looks easy because you see it work out or, you know, you see like the, the encounters and it's like an experience thing because you know how to move and you know when to move and to read the conditions and stuff. So it's not, there's, there's sort of a, I I don't want to say like a disingenuous look to it, but it's like an incomplete picture. So it goes both ways, you know? Well, and I think, it's one of these things where I still haven't fully explained or been able to figure out how to explain how to start that or how to break into that. But like, I mean, it kind of taps into the topic that you, you wanted to talk about it, like giving bucks, like all this credit, like that they're, they're so, they're so smart. And don't get me wrong. They are a mature buck is smarter than most deer. But with that being said, he's still just a deer. He's still just a deer. Even a five, even a nine-year-old buck has been around the block a bunch of times. He's still a deer. And I think that, um, you know, just understanding, like, based off of your experiences, what they can see, what are the things that they can see, how easy is it for them to smell you, how much noise does it take to catch their attention. And then, you know, just learning how to finesse those things is something that, only happens once you just dive into that head first and stop worrying about, Hey, like I'm going to, I'm going to spook deer, but so is a guy walking to his tree stand. Like 
there's no different. I'm still just a hunter in the woods to these deer. It's no different. And in some situations, I think it's a hunter in the woods, but it's less, it's so much less predictable that that's to your advantage, even when spooking deer, yep. right? So, you know, you think about most bow hunters, they're, they're setting in, setting up in stationary positions, a lot of times in a tree, a lot of times in a permanent spot where, I mean, you think about a big buck, you're in his home and all of a sudden, you know, there's all this ground scent on the ground. There's this new metal piece sticking to a tree, you know, and then when every time he smells that hunter, it's right in that same spot, you know, that's where I think it's more dangerous, truly, and deer are smarter than us in that way than just me randomly running through a bedding area, you know, or I don't say running, but, you know, blowing up a bedding area on accident. It's like, yeah, you know, they're going to come back because they're not like, that's not predictable. Like, how are they going to predict that again? You know what I mean? But anyway, well, and I mean, it is true. And it, you know, one of the reasons that we do give them so much credit is because we, we tend to try to hunt them where we want to hunt. And this is, you know, I talked to Andy May about this and this is like so common and that, you know, the message from a lot of like public land killers is like, if you do what everybody else does, it's not going to work because mm-hmm. they have you dialed that way. Yeah. And it, I always like, I've really started to think and think about it. Like, you know, we're the scariest predator they have out there. Oh, we, yeah. we don't think about it that way, <laughs> but like, imagine, I mean, just imagine like the average gun season out, like how terrifying that must oh, yeah. be. I mean, you've got dudes everywhere in trees with high powered rifles or shotguns where depending on where you're at and then all of a sudden you've got a line of seven of them walking through the woods in the corn and you've got guys on the end like imagine a scenario where you're you know like you're a prey animal and you encounter that shit yeah oh yeah and so like they're gonna dial into it they're just gonna go uh man when you know, even especially like the things they learned about us after dark, like the scent we leave and like, yeah. Oh, this corner yeah. of this field on public land has fresh human scent every freaking time I come out here. Yeah. So I think probably I'm not coming out here in daylight, Yes. you know? And it, I just think it's like sometimes as simple as that. And I know, I know there's individual variables out there, but really like if you're, if you're taking the easy access and you're sitting in the places that you want to sit, cause you can see a lot, you probably sitting in a place where deer have you, you and everybody who's done that for however many years pretty much dialed in. Now you don't see them every time by any means when you do this, but in my opinion, to hunt a whitetail buck, find like thick habitat that is tough to access for one reason or another. And I mean, not to dive into the, to the, you know, creative or tough access thing, but like think outside of your, out of the box look at the, what the majority of people are doing. And if they're doing something that's not leading them to that thick area, there's going to be a buck there, period. Like it's not, and, and, and I mean, that's the most dumbed down version of it. There's so many fine details that you can take into consideration, but that's your starting point. And then just go in there and have confidence and try something that is different or put yourself in, you know, a situation that you haven't maybe before. And, honestly to me that's when i started doing stuff that was oddball and i quit caring at all about what i was supposed to be doing or you know thinking about it a certain way that's when better things started happening and even even you know when i look back on i mean there's so many hunts man where i've straight up bumped a buck 
straight up bumped him. And that's how I found out that he was there. Like watching him run away. Like he knows I'm there a hundred percent and he, and he's going away. now whether I shoot him in that same spot or, you know, a little bit different spot or whatever, or see him even, but like, like we just give them so much credit that it's like once they, you spook them once it's over. It's like, well, not necessarily if you've got enough room to roam, like he's probably still, I mean, he's definitely still going to just be on that yep. area somewhere. So what's the next spot? Yep. I mean, it's Dude. just like I could look back on the wall here and just say, that's, that's one that I bumped. Um, one bumped, 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 you know, it's just like, it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Well, and it, you know what I always think about with that too? Cause I, you know, when I grew up, when I first started hunting, that was a big deal. Like you don't freaking do that. Like if you, if they know you're Me there, too, you're done, yeah. you know, like it's over. And you know, as you get older and you start getting more experience out there, you're like, they don't go anywhere. Like, I mean, that's where he lives. And so mm-hmm. he might change his behavior where he lives to some extent, but he's given you such a valuable piece of information because he was there today in these conditions and you saw him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like now it's your move. And I always think about it. Like we, we do a lot of rabbit hunting in like January and mm-hmm. February. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like we look at whitetails and we're like, they're so smart. They're so cagey. They're such survivor machines. And then you go push a cottontail rabbit out of like a, uh, you know, a cattail slough or like a overgrown homestead. And if you don't kill him, you're not sitting there thinking like, oh, well, that rabbit's never going to be back. Right. <laughs> like you're, yeah, always, you're yeah, always exactly. thinking, tomorrow, that son of a bitch is going to be right here. And maybe when we <laughs> push him, he'll squirt out a different way. Or, you know, the same thing with the pheasants on public land is like you, you run through a slough one way, one day, if you go back and do it the next day, it usually doesn't work as well, but those pheasants yep. are there. So now yeah. instead of just blowing out the end, they, you know, they snuck to the edge of the, the open water and they waited or, you know, all of a sudden they flush behind you and they're just learning from you, but they're there and huntable. Yeah. And it, yeah. I, I think white to like, I think elk too. Like, I think they're the same mm-hmm. thing. Like, yeah, we, we look at them like they got us really figured out on a level of thinking that we're, they don't have, like they have survivor yeah. instincts and they can learn, but mm-hmm. it's not like, you know we got a lot of advantages between our ears. Even the dumbest hunter out there <laughs> is a hell of a lot smarter than the smartest buck. Right. Right. And I, and I think it's, I think the choice though, or what, what, what really separates folks is, is when you start making the choice to learn from those mistakes or you learn from that and you say, Hey, what can I do differently? Or what, like, okay, he was here and what's he going to do next? You know, maybe you have enough time to hunt him that day which that's one thing that blows my mind is like to me, to me, I guess, let me back up to me more and more. There's no better confidence boost than seeing bucks in an area. Like if you're seeing bucks do something or whatever, it's like, okay, like I just need to go get in there and just start, you know, committing some effort to that. And if that's the case, then you know, it's all about just making fine decisions from there. But like, there's so many times I see, like, especially on videos where somebody will see a buck and it's just like, okay, that's the target buck. But then they continue to just like sit there and wait. And it's like, especially in bow season, I think there's a lot of times where the reason that you just saw them is just because they already know that that's where you're going to be. Like, especially with a bow. Now they get quick when they start hearing gun, quick to change when they hear guns go off. But like, if you're bow hunting and they just kind of make that loop around your stand, 
in that stand's been there for forever, especially if it's a buck that you know, it's like, ooh, wait, maybe he's actually just patterned me. And I think, you know, just to, to think critically of your mistakes or not even your mistakes, but your maybe lack of success or maybe not the success that you want, just thinking outside the box a little bit. To, because again, you are smarter than them. Like you can just literally bump one in a day and that be his downfall. I mean, it happens all the time. <laughs> like, yep. And it's just, it's so funny though, I guess the b- bumping thing is something that just, it's honestly something I need to get back to a little bit more. Yep. I need to get a little looser and just start, you know, not playing, don't play things cautious. And I think that's the other thing too, where I mentioned you find the thick spot. I mean, this is very general, but thick spot where not a lot of people are going, there's going to be a buck there. Don't worry about like playing that spot super safe because you're probably good enough to find another one. Yep. So if you mess it up, if you hunted ultra aggressive and you do feel like you messed it up, just go to the next spot, go to a different spot and just keep moving. And that's something that I find when I feel like I'm making mistakes, especially after the season, I can really break it down. It's like, maybe I just spent too much time in that spot and I wasn't looking at it. You know, I should have just not tiptoed around there, just either went somewhere else or just went straight to the money spot and then got out of there and then went yep. to a different spot. Yep. Anyway, I'm yeah. getting long winded. Well, you know, you know where, where I feel that the most, like currently in my, my white tail hunting is, is situations where I'm like close, but not right on where I need to be. You know what I mean? So it's not like, I'm not talking about like you're sitting on a hundred acre cornfield that's been cut and they come out on the far end. And like, like North Dakota last year, for example, I had one buck that was like, he was in play and he was, you know, he was a nice deer. He wasn't a giant. He's like 120 inch deer on public land. And he was like the guy living there. And I'm like, he's the one I'm targeting. And I went in on him to kill him on a water hole because of where he was and he came in the first night and he was like six feet from being in my shooting lane and he winded me because it was just wonky and I just, I was pushing it, whatever. I blew him out and I knew, I, I knew I was like on the edge, right? Like I knew this was like, it might break my way, it might break his way, but I was also like, you're kind of sitting where you want to sit when you probably should be like 50 yards over there and it's not mm-hmm. right over the water. It's over one of the routes to it, but it was right. And Mm -hmm. I sat there the next morning and I watched a bunch of deer go by there. And I'm like, you know this. And yet you're like, just content to sit far enough off where it could work for you instead of just getting down and freaking moving. Yeah. And and for, and like, what's, what are you, what are you sacrificing? Like what's the worst that happens? Like in in your brain to me, it's what always happens is it's like, Oh, another deer is going to get downwind of me or something. It's like, so be it. If that's where the buck's going to walk, go be able to shoot that at 10 yards, you know, but but go on. Sorry. But I mean, it's just, it's the little stuff like that. And it, you know, it's settling. Like, I think there's like so much danger in settling on anything like that, because you Mm -hmm. know, like when I think about most of the public land bucks I've killed, it's, it's almost always like an observation and then a move and a kill. It's, you know, sometimes you get it right, right away. Sometimes it's a grind on day seven or whatever. Like it, it goes a lot of different ways, but when I feel like I'm in the zone and I'm making it work, it's almost always like, here's my spot. I'm watching. I see something they give you, they give you something and then you're on them the next day. And it it just happens that way. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think like one of the things I want to ask you about this is like, do you feel 
when you're out there, because you come from Iowa, you come from, you know, like Bill Winkie's world a long time ago and, you know, like the name bucks and grow them and, and, and like the totally different style from what you guys have done on THP. I think that there's like a, a level of like, you kind of unshackle yourself when you go to public land because you don't have that history and you're not a one buck hunter. You're like, where's a spot? And you said this earlier, like, where's this thick spot that a buck lives? Because that buck that's in there is probably big enough to make you happy. Exactly. And you're not like, I got to find X amount of hit listers. You're like, I got to find a spot to hunt deer. And I'm going to accept the fact, whether I'm in Georgia or Nebraska or wherever, that the buck that is here, he's going to be good enough. And you'll decide in the moment. But usually when you find the spot, the buck lives up to your expectations. And, you know, I mean, if you have a range, that's better. This is what this is what I when I feel like I'm hunting my best or us as a group we're hunting our best is when we have this mentality of we're hunting where we think the biggest buck in the damn county lives but if a nice one comes in we're shooting him <laughs> you know yep. what I mean yep. it's like and whatever that means a decent one comes in you know whatever that means that may vary place to place but like it it's it's just so important to have that mentality i think hunt where you think there's a big one and like you said there's probably a dang good chance he's going to be there and honestly in my experience a lot of times i'm pleasantly surprised there's been a lot of situations where i'm like oh i didn't think that that was going to come out of here necessarily but i'm plenty happy with that and like yeah you just know you just know in the moment too it's like oh yeah good enough like shooting. <laughs> well, and I mean, but that point there, that, that was something that I encountered when I really started hunting public land too, was like, man, what's supposed to be here versus what I'm seeing is, is better. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like everywhere you go, like, I shouldn't say that a lot of places you go to and it, you know, like you talk to the locals and they're like, it's not worth it. And you don't know if they're full of shit or if they, they really yeah. believe it or whatever, who knows. But so often you know, there's like a stigma attached to a certain place. And it's always, always comes from the people who live there, who've kind of written it off. And then you go in and it's like, geez, you know, like everybody talks about genetics and being in the trophy States, but I'm like, you get deer to three years old, which happens everywhere. I don't mm-hmm. care where you live. Yeah. You're already talking about deer that are going to probably get most people's heart rate up mm-hmm. and like be a great deer, whether it's a yeah. hundred inch or 130 inch or whatever, 90, I don't care. It's all situational and they're out there. And I think, I think that's like so important. Like, I think that's one of the things you guys showed. And I think what's crazy about it is like, yeah, you guys are good hunters, but you're also just showing people what's out there. And I, so I think people are often like, well, Jesus, what's their secret? Like, why, why are they capable of doing this everywhere? It's like, yeah, they're good hunters, but they're also just showing you what you didn't think was there because they're out there doing this. And that's an important lesson. Yeah. And, And it's weird too, because with public land, there's generally enough ground that you find something, like I said, that's better than what you expect because, and and again, in my experience, if I'm covering a bunch of ground, I'm finding stuff. I eventually will find something. It doesn't always happen on the second day. And like, I, I like to think of every trip that I make is like, we were talking earlier about being relatable. I like to think seven days is fairly realistic you know, I don't, I don't technically have like a home base for whitetail anymore. You know, I have a home plate. I don't have out my back door scout. Like every time I go to scout deer, it's more than five hours away, you know, at minimum, that's very minimum. That's like the closest whitetail stuff. Everything else is, you know, 
pretty much on the fly. So I like to think in seven days, that's pretty realistic to somebody's trip for the year. So in most, most of the time, I'm trying to fit that into seven days. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less, but for the most part, the progression goes like find, find areas that are of interest, drive around them, spend a day covering ground around them to see if what the access is like, what the neighborhood looks like, then go put boots on the ground and just cover ground and just try to find where there's this sign that's telling me there is something there that's something I want to chase. And eventually you find it. There's a lot of places that, yeah, it's like you get in there, it's like, oh, there's all these old stands and, you know, there's four-wheeler trails where there shouldn't be. And, you know, there's all this hunter sign. But then all of a sudden, if you cover enough ground and you do that initial legwork to kind of find places that are maybe off the wall a little bit, eventually you find something that tells you it's like, ooh, this has got it. And honestly, a lot of times more than I think it's going to have more than one, you know, yep. you get back there and there's. I mean, it's an example I used earlier when we were talking about the mistakes. That, those two bucks, those two bucks that I would have been more than happy to shoot were on the same ridge system. Like, they were right in the same area. They were within, probably within 400 yards of those two encounters were. And it's like, and those two bucks were different bucks than what we saw the day prior. So there was like four in there that we would have, you know, been happy to shoot. So it's just, I don't know. I think that's, and you know, there's also a lot of, I hear a lot about states like, um, I actually won't even throw anybody under the bus. <laughs> I just will save them from it. But you know, you know, you're kind of typical states that you hear the most, like kind of griping about, I guess, like, Oh, there's no bucks here. There's no, and it's like, you start looking at the map there and it's like, there's so much public land that there's absolutely a lot of mature bucks. I mean, anywhere where there's mountains in the eastern United States, there's going to be hammers in there yep. because there's just not that many people. Like, you know, even more so than like in elk country. So elk country, for example, is super extreme, super rugged. But like the people that go out there to hunt elk all have that mentality that we're going anywhere where there's elk. It doesn't matter if it's, you know. 12,000 feet or if it's down at 9,000, we're going anywhere and everywhere. Whitetail hunters don't do that. Yep. If there's a mountain that, that is at, you know, 3,000 foot and it's super rugged, a bunch of finger ridges off the main ridge, I mean, there's magnum bucks in there. <laughs> like, yep. they, may not be, they may not score 170 inches, but there's bucks that are probably going to die of old age in that stuff. Well, and I know, and it, you know, I think Pennsylvania is such a good example of that. I was going to name that one, but but <laughs> I mean, it, it really is because you know I grew up hearing about Pennsylvania and how many hunters are out there and the density of hunters and just like like a, an insurmountable amount of pressure. And I know I know some things changed out there, but man, I I have some buddies, you know, Clint Campbell and Aaron Hepler and some of these dudes out there. They're scouting their asses off out there and they are on big deer all the time. And I mean, like mm -hmm. deer that most people, if they were sitting on a tree stand in Iowa are going to shoot if it comes down the trail and you just look at that and you go, Shit, big. yeah, I mean, like that's, that's make anybody big. happy. And I know, yeah. I, I, I honestly think that one of the worst things we do about deer, you know, kind of not only giving them too much credit, but also just like 
just like buying into the negativity around every freaking opportunity so fast when you look at that and go like, is this true? Like, is this really true that, you know, this 6,000 acre chunk of public land here has no big ones in it because the rifle <laughs> yeah. hunters kill them all And it. You know, right. like the best example is that like when you hear somebody from like Nebraska or like South Dakota complain about that, like, oh, you know, our gun season sucks. It just, they, it's brown, it's down and there's no big bucks in there. And I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> like, have you driven yeah. around in August and looked at some of these places? Like they're there somewhere, you know? Yeah. But if yeah. you, if you have it made up in your head that it isn't going to work for you, it's not going to freaking work. You're not going to find it. Yeah. Them. Yeah. Well, and, and it's not, it's not necessarily something that, I mean, again, when you compare things to what you're seeing kind of mainstream media too, it's, it's so much of a different situation for the most part that it's like, you're watching people just like, I don't know, look at this bean field and watch an hour before dark, you know, a handful of does, a couple of small bucks and, you know, one big giant body, big antlered buck come out. It's like, man, it's so easy there. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, it, honestly, it probably is easier situation, but that doesn't mean it can't be done in your spot. It's just going to take a different learning curve and like, that's where, you know, it really comes down to all hunting, just getting out there and trying. You're never going to get any better if you just say, oh, I only want to wait for the good stuff. That's just, I mean, that's just, I don't know, it's unrealistic. You're not going to get to hunt as much as you want. You're not going to get to become as good of a hunter as you want if you are only waiting for the good. It's just like we were talking about elk before this. And it's like, you could be the type of person that's like, you know what? I want to hunt elk every year. And when I'm done hunting elk 30 years from now, 40 years, when I'm dead, that's when I'm hoping to be done is when I'm dead. But, you know, I could sit there and wait for the best opportunities, the best tags, wait, put in preference points and draw these tags every five or six years. And maybe on my wall in my trophy room that I'm showing off to my buddies, maybe that makes me look like the better hunter. But if I'm actually going every year, getting more experience, getting more days in the field, and I maybe have a couple raghorns to show for it, in my opinion, the person with the raghorns, that's the person that's that's the better hunter. He's getting the experience. Yep. Not to say that, you know, everybody likes to shoot a big buck. Everybody likes to shoot a big bull. But, like, at the end of the day, getting experience shooting deer, that's that's – the most valuable thing that you could do as a hunter. And sometimes it doesn't always look pretty for, you know, like it would as the guy in the magazine that's got the 175 inch buck. It's just like, it's not always like that. And that's okay. But that doesn't mean you're not a good hunter either. And I think keeping that in mind too, who gives a shit what anybody thinks, man, that's the thing. Yep. Like who cares what, and, and unfortunately to be a big, a, a a good hunter these days because because of pictures and social media and this the kind of the idea around hunting is like unfortunately a lot of people believe you have to kill big bucks and that's just not true yeah well and it i mean the reality is it's not going to work out anyway <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. you know and it, it hunting is such a weird thing because we don't, we look like everybody has like the same chance and the same skill level and stuff. It's oh, just yeah. not true. And I, I was thinking about this the other day. I can't remember how it came up, but we were talking, I was talking to my daughters about artists, like, mm -hmm. you know, people who create different shit. And I was like, 
some people just have it and some people don't, you mm-hmm. know, like I, I always joke, my, my wife hates it, but I always joke, like, I don't, the only thing I'm manly with is hunting and fishing. Like if you were like, Hey, go change the oil on your truck. I'd be like, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> like, I'm going to screw that up. Like, I mean, I can YouTube it or whatever. Like we all have our different talents and like, you just might not, you might not be good enough to go out and kill big bucks everywhere. Well, you also might just not have set your, your life up in a situation where you get as much opportunity either. Like that's another factor that like last time, we did a podcast where we were talking with Mark Yep. and he asked like the question of, you know, if you only had one morning to hunt. And I, I've thought about that for years. It's like, yeah, stuff would look a lot different for me if I had my life set up differently. And I think that like, you know, you look at every person's hunting situation, everybody's in a different situation. Yep different years of experience, different influences, different, um, I mean, just think about like having a good hunting mentor versus being, you know, from the time you're a little kid to the time, you know, you start going on your own, maybe handful of years versus somebody that's like out of college, 22 years old, 25 years old. And they're like, I think I might start hunting. Think about how different that situation is. And if you start to immediately measure yourself against other people you you just are doing you in my opinion that's just the wrong thing to do in general because you can't measure yourself because your situation is not necessarily the same yeah you know think about somebody who you know is hunting in the mountains of north carolina compared to somebody who you know all of a sudden like just by happens chance landed you know, this big property to hunt in Kansas. I mean, think about how much different those two situations look. And if yep. there's, if the guy from North Carolina is sitting here looking at the doe that he killed with his bow and he's comparing it to, you know, this guy that shot this big buck on this property in Kansas, is that the same comparison? It's like, in my opinion, it isn't, but you also can't get down that rabbit hole of comparing either. That's why you just got to worry about your shit and keep going, just yep. keep having fun. You know, I think, I think one of the dangerous things that's happened, you know, with, with hunting media and it, and just like the amount of content that's out there now is like, I, I've noticed this, especially like Turkey hunting. I'll t- I take a lot of people out Turkey hunting and, you know, you get somebody who's only been doing it a couple years or whatever, but they've got like, you know, they're all camoed up and they have the gear and everything. And you talk to them and inevitably they watch you guys, they watch meat eater, they, they, they're consumers. And, you know, they're, they're almost trying to like learn vicariously through the content mm-hmm. and, uh, and like some of the content's really good. And like, you can learn some stuff from it. And, but I think like the, the main component of it is just inspiration, like go mm-hmm. out and try this shit on your own yeah. and learn on your own. And I think, I feel like you know, like when I was coming up, you didn't have a choice. You just did that. Like, cause that's, you know, we didn't have the same kind of content level that we have now. And it was just like, well, you just go hunt. Like you just go, go look for them in the summer and sneak around and you glass them. And in the fall you have one tree stand and you just move around and whatever, yeah. you know, like you just learn. And now there's sort of this illusion that you can just like learn this by osmosis. Yeah. And I think that like the best thing about it is like, yeah, you can get some great ideas. Like you listen to Andy May tell his stories, like, you're going to get some shit out of it. That's that works for you. Like I, no mm-hmm. question, but there's also just like the inspiration level of just like go out and, and do this. And I, I really think like, 
you know, kind of what we were talking about earlier. And you said like, go find that concentration of bucks or go find that sign in the thick stuff. And you're going to be around them. Like, man, the, the best part about deer hunting to me now is that feeling of getting into that spot. I don't know who's there. I see the sign. I got the, you know, it gives me the warm and fuzzies and you get up in that tree and yeah, sometimes you blank, sometimes you get busted. Sometimes like a lot of times it doesn't work out, but that feeling of like, I'm, I think I'm on it right now. That's mm-hmm. the best. Like it's, a, it's mm-hmm. different than, you know, if you go into a situation where it's like an easier hunt and and whatever people want, whatever they want. But like, for me, I've done some of the easy ones and it gets fun to see big bucks and kill one and not have to work too hard, mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's not the same feeling as like, man, when you just like, I just, I figured this out. This is the spot that makes my nuts buzz and you get in there <laughs> freaking love it because you're learning any, I mean, you get your ass kicked all the time, but you know, like you, you, you at least brushed up against something worthwhile there. Something that like, I don't know. I, I know this is very abnormal and this is just a personal thing that I would challenge somebody that maybe wants to get more out of hunting. It's like, if you want to get more out of it, consider ditching trail cameras. I know there's a lot of people that don't use them, but like it's so popular these days. And I think to myself, like there's nothing I want less than a trail camera. I hate those things. I mean, I hate them. I hate finding them in the woods. I hate, I, I I know that's abnormal, but they just drive me crazy because I think of all the things that I get to learn that somebody else just like comes in here and slaps like, this like I'm getting to learn it on my feet and then I get to make this prediction but then somebody else is just using this like imagine how much you can learn from that and then it takes away from what I like to get out of it so for me it's not necessarily about other people it's more it's mostly just about like I don't want to do that I don't want to get all that info when I'd rather just make a guess see what comes in if it excites me make the shot or whatever and just move on. And it's like the trail cameras, I think are, man, they're a weird thing. They kind of start to cross the line for me of like, I don't know, taking some sort of advantage to a different, you know, it's like, it just changes the, the advantage. I actually think they also, they change, they can, if you understand them, I think they can really help. And I think in another way, they can also really hurt you. Yeah. And they can really be this disease. And I feel like I'm happy that I just decided that I was going to, I shouldn't say I never use info from trail cameras, but it's not ever really anything that I'm using directly for my hunts. It's more like my buddy ran this camera. I'm looking at the pictures after the fact and just looking at that, not necessarily ever using it for my own situation. I haven't ever, like, I shouldn't say ever. Last I did was like 2015 and probably 15 i remember really having them out but i just think i don't know but but that's what you learn i mean i think i think that they're amazing on private land in certain situations like you can you can dial in shit real well Mm -hmm. when i see them I'll, i'll never forget so when i drew that last iowa tag two years ago i had three spots that had a concentration of bucks in them like they were just they were on and mm-hmm. one of them was just like a classic river bottom setup, and it was it didn't have as many bucks in it, but it had a ton of deer. Mm-hmm. And it was just it was dumb. Like you you know like you just walked in there. There's CRP. There's some hardwoods and there's a river. Like and it's Iowa. Yeah. And I went in there and there was there were guys hunting in there. Like I wasn't the only one. Mm-hmm. And I, there was a trail camera set up. Uh, 
right by this guy's stand on this like super obvious crossing through through these this little wood line in the CRP field. And I just kind of wanted to hold up a sign in front of it and be like, they're here, dude. Like, come on in. <laughs> like, you don't need to see anything more. Like, look around. There was freaking yeah. rubs and scrapes everywhere. And, you know, the first night I sat in there, I had 14 deer come through. And I, w- mm-hmm. I was I was a little bit off of where he was, but it's the same area. And, there, you know, like when you walk in there and there's the sign is incredible. And this was this was opening weekend. This was October 1, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just look at that. And I'm like, you're going to come in. And check that and be behind the eight ball on this probably because me and a bunch of other people are hunting in here and you're going to be looking at Intel from three weeks ago. And yeah, you're going to have inventory and you're going to be like, this big buck was here, but so was this dipshit who walked by in first light and this guy. And like, you're, it's, it's like, that's not the situation for it probably, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I just, it just is one of these things. Like, I guess it can be used. It, I mean, there, I, I guess that's the thing to me. They're just so, there's such a weird I don't know. Here's where I've really got, it used to not be that much of a problem for me to where I wasn't really that bothered by it. But when it gets to a point where they're just everywhere you go, that starts to become a problem. And I've hunted some places where I'm walking down every single ridge in the timber and they are literally lying down the ridge. And it's like, like to me, that starts to become, it just becomes so strange, especially on public land where it's like, I know this is, I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for this, but it's just like, I know that's the norm is to be buying trail cameras. But like, as soon as I see my buddies start to do that, I tell them like, I don't like that. I don't like to talk, like, I don't want to be finding your cameras laying around everywhere out there. And, and it's just like, it's just another piece of woods trash to me. Just another thing that people leave out there, just put in, let deer know that, Hey, we're actually out here hunting you now, you know? And it's just, I don't know that, it's just something that recently has become more and more annoying to me where it's like, they just are popping up everywhere, like everywhere. And then it kind of becomes this thing too, where it's like, somebody's like reserving their little area, you know, on public land. It's like, especially when you put five down a ridge, it's like, yep. well, if I'm going to be hunting, all I'm going to be doing is walking in front of your camera every day. It's like, that's not me. I, I know that, that part, I mean, but that's what, get some banned right when you see the arizona situation with the water holes and stuff mm-hmm. because you know there is an issue with claiming spots out there on public land and mm-hmm. you know some states you know some states you can't use them on public and it, that doesn't seem to deter anybody <laughs> hardly because you walk around yeah. there everywhere but it is you know it it's rough but i also think because people lean on them so heavily you can, you can use that to your advantage, you know, like, I mean, because you look at that and go, if that's your primary scouting strategy, you're missing a lot. And, you know, and I, I agree. I agree. Well, I was just going to say like in this specific example where like we found all these. So actually one of the bucks that I shot um, a couple of years ago, we were scouting this area I don't know if it was actually, I actually think it was after we shot the buck, but we shot this buck back. It was one of these situations where it was like, we picked the spot, we went to it, he was, and he was there and we actually bumped him and then shot him later that night. Everything that I've been talking about as far as like pick the spot, trust it. It's hard to get to. He's going to be there while we hunted there. There wasn't really much hunting sign, hunter sign in that area, but then we moved so later in the season, I was hunting, filming in that same area. 
And I was with my buddy and we were closer to the um, access point and we just were going down different ridges. And that's when we found one example where we found a bunch of trail cameras. And it was like, if you take this piece of public land, you put access at point A and then at point B is all these trail cameras. The buck was at point C. And we bypassed it the first time we went in there and went straight to point C, killed the buck. And the, but on point B, there's all these cameras. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's just, it's I'm not saying the buck didn't ever spend time there, but it's just like, to me, it's just another thing to add pressure onto an area too. It's like, this is attachment with a trail camera, especially when you got that many of them out there and stands scattered into it as well. It's just, it's just like you said, I don't know that that's the best application for it. It's like, if I was ever going to run a trail camera, I would put it in the deepest, darkest hole that I never wanted to go to, leave it for an entire season in the most hidden spot where I don't think anybody could ever see it. And then I would just like not come get it for a year. You yep. know what I mean? And just use that for the following season. But even then, it's like I just still I personally feel like my skills as an out, you know, a woodsman, I guess are increased if I avoid using those things. Yeah. Well, I think I'm, I've, I've got to the same place. I still use them, you know, on some of my private ground. Cause I just like it. And it, especially with the girls and I know I'm going to take the girls to blinds. I have set up, like I have fun with that, but I noticed that I went through a phase where I got too reliant on them and I felt like I was behind the eight ball all the time. <sighs> and, and I was just like, I don't, I like, I knew it. Like, I'm like, you're leaning on this too heavy and you're not having a very good year. And you know, when you think about like, if you have private land and you have access to every freaking tool we have, which you do, so you can run trail cameras, you can set stands, ladder stands, blinds, whatever the hell you want. And you're having worse hunts than when you travel on public land and you're in the moment for four or five days, mm -hmm. there's a lesson there. Yeah. And that hit me over the head probably like six years ago or something where I was like, not only am I having more fun where I'm just freelancing it and figure out something in the moment I'm doing, I'm killing bigger deer mm -hmm. and like more oh, consistently. Yeah. And then it's like, a, it's an eye opener. Cause you go, why, why would this be? And it's, you know, like I'll, I'll, I've told this on here before, but I'll never forget. I was in North Dakota one time and there was a couple of guys, a couple other guys from Minnesota out there camp next to us. And you know, they were big buck to the nth degree talking about 200 inch bucks. They've seen all over the place and absolute dipshits, but <laughs> just anyway, uh, they, they came out there, they had kayaks, they had everything, and they were running trail cameras up and down the river. And I'm sitting here going, you guys have four days, and every quarter of a mile here is a peak you can sit on and look over two miles of this freaking river. Like, yeah. you can get more intel with a spotting scope in one night than you'll get with trail cameras in three weeks there. Like, it's not the right tool for the job. And, mm -hmm. you know, they were, they'd go out, paddle out, find a crossing, put a, put a camera on there. So the, the very spot that they wanted or that the deer would go, now you've left your scent there. You've walked up on the bank and, you know, like you've probably knocked down some weeds or whatever. And then you're like, I hope within the next couple of days, I'm going to get a picture of one I want to go to. And then I'm going to go there and hunt it. Like, I'm like, it's a lost cause. And they left. Yeah. Well, and it's so norm. Like I said, it's just like, it's just what the hunting industry is doing and telling you. And it's like so much of a content now, like get online and start scrolling and you're going to see a trail camera. Like you follow any hunting page or anything, you're going to start seeing trail camera pictures pop up. And I guess to me, it's just, it's just not, 
you could make this sit here and say, listen to all that I'm saying too, and say, oh, trail cam, Zach's against trail cameras. Like he doesn't like, you know, he's saying that's an unfair advantage, but he's using on X. You could say the same thing about on X. I mean, yeah, it's made things a hell of a lot easier for whatever reason. Personally, that doesn't cross a line for me, but for some reason the trail, and, and it's not just the trail cameras, I think being, um, it's not all about like one thing with the trail cameras. I guess it's like there's a bunch of things that I think are disadvantages to um, to using them. There's also advantages to using them, but it's also just like mentally, it's this easy way out. It's like this easy way to just like eh, kind of lean on this a little bit, and then it's also you know going to hurt you in the heat of the moment when really nice buck that you would shoot every day of the week comes by, but because you got this one stupid picture of this really big buck that you're going to like miss that opportunity or you're going to be like, oh, you know, I got to go sit over here because this camera was hot last week. It's the weekend or whatever. And it's like, well, that happened. Like that already happened. You know, like that's the thing. And especially when you get into cell cameras, that gets even hilarious. It's like, oh, we're going to go. And I mean, don't get me wrong. You can certainly use a cell camera to your advantage if you can recognize what's happening in the situation of the picture. For example, if there's a buck with a doe and you're right next door, easy you run over there and he's you know he's going to be much more easy to make a stock on for example but if a buck's cruising and he cruises past your cell camera so yeah like that dude's gone already you know what i mean and well it's yeah like, but you can chase your tail doing that and that's one of the J- jake and i did that last year when i was filming him we just like i felt like there was times where we were kind of just like chasing this picture because he likes to run trail cameras I don't, but I, you know, I tag along for whatever. And it's just like, you know, one of those deals where it kind of gets down to it. It's like, just go with your gut. You're just better off just to go hunt with your gut. Just go to the places again. Like we talk about, man, again, but all back to not, don't give them so much credit. Yeah. Find the spot that makes sense. And I promise there'll be a buck there. Yeah. Well, and if you find 10 of them, that could be your whole seat, you know, that could be your whole season, but just hunt them all aggressively, go straight to the X and go hunt it. He's probably going to be in there somewhere. Yep. I, I look at trail cameras right now, like, cause I do have fun running them especially for my daughters. I love it. Cause every deer mm-hmm. is a shooter and mm-hmm. it, they just, to get the, the, to get them pumped, it's so easy. But I always look at that, like, like I look at e-collars for dog training. You know, if you, if you look in the hunting dog world, you almost won't find a professional trainer who doesn't send every dog home with an e-collar mm-hmm. like that's how they they got to get results in eight weeks or 12 weeks and that's the the easiest way to do it and they're like a great tool if you know how to use it and you use it right with a dog that already understands everything and you've got the process down but then the average person doesn't know how to train a dog very well and they go this is a shortcut to a trained dog and it's not this is a shortcut to forced compliance that's only going to happen when that collar's on there. T- typically, I mean, it varies, yeah. you know, but it's not it's not getting you where you think it's going to get you if you don't use it really well. Mm-hmm. And I look at that with trail cameras too; like they're fun, they're a, they're a band aid, they're a shortcut. They can be a badass tool if you use them to complement a, a whole scouting strategy. Yeah, and you're like, and, or even just for like, you know. It, it just just to get the confidence up that you're like geez there's like six bucks in this area that i would shoot like that's mm-hmm. that's pretty good if it gets you up up in the morning but and it, and it does i think i think though it starts to 
I think it's so easy to get in your head in a negative way too, where it's just like, oh, I'm not getting pictures. Like I've, I've, I know that there's been examples with our group where had a camera in a spot, it's not picking up shit. And then in reality, there's bucks crawling all over just in the other corner of the piece that you can't see from the camera. And I think stuff like that, like, and, and ultimately for me, I truly believe that I will end up with more, like, I guess a, a better experience to where it will help me in the future without them. Right. Like, if I'm seeing this sign and I'm making that decision, okay, this is where I'm going to set up today, and I make that decision just purely based off sign, I just think that that's more advantageous in the long run than trying to use this trail camera as like a short-term solution to like, oh, I'm going to find these bucks, this camera, or however you're choosing to use it. Now, like, again, I'm not saying that it's like I, I said I hate them at the beginning, and I kind of regret saying that. It's like... <laughs> I understand that people like them. I personally don't. And I think it's just one of those deals. I also like being different. I kind of like just, you know, stirring the pot a little bit. Like, leave your trail camera at home and see, like, and just see what you can come up with. Like, you'll be better for it. And, like, I kind of like just, I don't know, that's kind of my main point with all that is, like, leave it at home. See what you can come up with on your own. You got the skills to do it. Trust that. It doesn't have to be like what you see on the TV. Trust that you can use your woodsmanship skills. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where 
Land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to Land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth you know in addition to us giving big bucks too much credit i think a lot of people don't give themselves enough credit yeah like you know especially i you know i was explaining to this to my little girls the other day you know because they had a bad turkey season they both killed turkeys but they missed more turkeys in two sits than i've ever seen in like 27 years of turkey i mean i was like <laughs> holy shit guys like we were, we were out of bullet. It was anyway, <laughs> it was, it was meltdowns. I was like, these are my kids. We don't need to do a paternity test. Cause they freaking turkey fevered to the nth degree. Anyway. So now they're thinking about deer season. I'm like, last year, you guys shot at three deer and you killed them all. And two really good shots, one bad shot that worked out really well for us. And I was like, you just, you got to understand that this takes time to get comfortable mm-hmm. and you'll get to a point eventually, and, you know, they're 10, so it'll be a while, but I'm lying to them. But I'm like, you'll get to a point where like, you know, I put those crosshairs on behind the shoulder or I put that bead on that turkey's neck and yeah. you'll just know it's over. Like you'll know what you have to do. There won't be this anxiety, but it takes a while to get there. And oh, it, yeah. it takes a while for everybody to get to those, those places. And when you start getting to like some of that stuff happens, it's like, it feels so good. Cause mm-hmm. you're like, man, I got the confidence to, you know, like the first time you go and kill a big one on public land, it's like, holy shit. Like this is, all, yeah. all of a sudden, it opens up a world to you where now, instead of that thing being like a negative or like something that you wouldn't really use in your arsenal, now you're like, every chunk of public is potentially a hunting spot for me. Yeah. And that's an enormous advantage to believe that, to not mm-hmm. look at it as a negative, like it's over hunted or whatever, to, but to be like, if this place doesn't work for me, there's 5,000 other acres to figure this stuff out. Mm-hmm. Then you're Then you're on a path to something that's like, you're going to get better because that fire yeah. just got lit. Yeah. And I just think that like one thing that I battle with all the time with creating hunting content is that at the end of the day, or I guess at the end of every piece of content, I just want to put disclaimer, like all this is based off of our experiences. You go get your own, like go get your own experience. That's, that's what you just have to do to, to, and like I listen to tons of people talk about hunting too. So just like anybody else listening to this podcast or watching a hunting video or whatever, I do the same thing. Don't get me wrong. Like I do the same thing. I'm watching other people. I'm listening to what John Eberhard has to say. I'm listening to Dan and Andy May or whatever I am. I'm trying to do exactly what those guys do making your own style and understanding your hunting areas you know maybe that's you know just one county in one state maybe that's a couple counties in one state maybe that's a couple states maybe it's a couple species whatever it is just start chipping away and the only thing that's going to make you learn is just getting that experience and like you know we sit here and we say you and i sit here and we say that we give big bucks too much credit. But the only reason that we are able to say that is because we've put a lot of time into hunting them. We've got the experience to say like, hey, 
you know, when you really break down most situations, we're probably giving them a little bit too much credit. And I think that, you know, just trying different stuff, taking little snippets from um, what other people are doing and then not being afraid of failure is just so important. And like, maybe what you feel like you're doing is something you've never seen before. And to be completely honest, that's probably true. Yep. Like when I set my bow behind me, that spot, I've still to this ne- day never seen anybody hunt with a bow in that type of a setup. But it worked perfectly. The buck literally was as close as you could get. Yep. You know, it's just like he was, uh, you could almost reach out and touch him. And that was the most oddball setup that you could ever draw up compared to what most people do in those situations. And not to say that they're wrong, but what works for me might not work for them based off of style, based off of influence, based off of amount of time to go hunting. I mean, again, back to that, everybody's got a different situation. It's just find what works for you and have confidence in it. And then don't be afraid to fail. Like go have fun failing. Yep. Well, and you, you said something there that's a really, really good point that we should talk about just a little bit here is you're right. Like we're, we're talking about people, you know, people giving big bucks too much credit because we've gone through the stages of like what that made me think of is when I started hunting, I gave all the deer too much credit and I couldn't freaking kill one. Mm-hmm. And then when I finally started killing a few fawns and does, it was like, if it had antlers, I gave it too much credit. Yeah. You, like if spikes on up, buddy, like one pointers on up. And I went through that and like, eventually you get to the point where you're like, okay, like I got to kill some big ones because the, you know, the one and a half and the two year olds, they're, they're coming, I'm getting them now. And so you go through these stages where you're like, okay, now this is the, like the insurmountable level, like the three and a half year old on up. And then you break through that and you realize, no, it's not. And like, then you break through and go, not only is it not on public land or private land, it's also not on public. And so you go through stages. So a good thing to tell people is, you know, one of the most dangerous things you can do in this stuff is, is jump the line and become, you know, like that trophy hunter before you've got mm-hmm. enough of yeah. those yeah. other hunts in your rear view mirror to get there, because that's probably one of the biggest reasons people give them too much credit is they're just not ready for them yet. Like right. you haven't, you haven't worked your way up the ladder. And that, that might be the biggest problem with social media and the, the content we produce is we show and trail cameras. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. And those goddamn <laughs> you know trail cameras, we, <laughs> we show too much of the end product of, you know, decades of of hunting hard and having a lot of advantages that other people don't have and it, it gives a skewed view of, of this world like they're not seeing us when we were 14 and we couldn't kill anything like, yeah yeah exactly you know, like they're, you're seeing more of a finished product now than you would for you know the first 20 years and it that's a big deal yeah and i just i just oftentimes think because i know that i do it i oftentimes think of like you know, if I ever read the comment or question or something that says like, Hey, you know, I'm seeing this amount of sign. What should I do? Should I say, I've seen this year, this year, and this year, what should I do? It's like, I imagine that situation being very similar to all the times that I do the same thing, right? Where it's like, what should I do right here? And it's like the only answer that is wrong is to do nothing to like stall out and just not make a decision. And sometimes I do that too. And that's the thing where you talk about, like you always see the good, but there's so many days, like a hell of a lot of days that we go hunting and things don't work out the way that we want. And the worst 
two things you can do is stall out and not make a decision and two, let your confidence get messed up because of a little bit of failure, I guess, or a little bit of like just unanswered questions, I guess. That's a thing that happens all the time in bow hunting, especially in areas or deer hunting in general, but like especially in areas with like low visibility or low deer densities. It's so easy to just be like, okay, there's this scrape here. I, you know, I set up on it. He, he, nothing came in for five hours. So what does that even mean? Like, do I sit there tomorrow? It's like, I don't know. You know, it's like, if that was your experience, I don't know. What, what do I do in that situation? I, it's still, I can't tell you because it's like, I don't even know that I would have an answer for it if I was in that moment right off the gate either. It's like, it's just about going and trying and just trying and trying. And so it just seems so ridiculous to say it, but there's no, there's no easy answer. Yeah. I mean, there is an easier answer. There's, you know, buy your own place and, and, you know, control all the factors and buy a bunch of land that nobody else can go on. And that's going to make things easier, but like, that's probably not realistic to you, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's not, that's not for everyone. I th I think one of the, one of the main points there that's like so, so worth acknowledging is just not riding a dead program, like understanding when you're in one and how to get out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, because a lot of people have a, a, a high tolerance for a dead program on, on the off chance they're coming, you know mm -hmm. I mean? And I always like, I, I use the rut as an example, right? Like if the rut was the answer to all your problems, we would have a hundred percent success rate for hunters in Iowa with archery tags mm -hmm. <laughs> because you got the entire month of November. And if that was all it took, then you would see a hundred percent and you don't, you don't even see mm -hmm. close to that. It's still like one out of every five hunters is filling their tag. And I was looking at that and I go, this happens to everyone everywhere. Like where you get into something and you're like, I think this should be going and it's not. And so instead of talking yourself into just staying there, cause it's like, it's easy. Cause like, they're going to come go find what they're doing. And it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. You know, like we try to justify why it's a dead program. Now it's like, well, it must be too hot or it must be too windy or it must be too cold or it must be you know, the ruts not popping off or whatever. It's like, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't, like, it doesn't matter why my wife's mad at me. I'm going to have a bad night. You know what I mean? Like whatever I did, she's going to punish me for it. Like it doesn't, at that point it's irrelevant. Now I got to deal with what I got to deal with. You know, like if, yeah. if the deer aren't there, even if the sign's there, like if you sit there and it's the conditions are right and you feel like you didn't make a bunch of mistakes and let's say you get a morning and an evening there and it's just not happening. Like, man, I don't know. It's time to acknowledge it and, and move on. Yeah, and I think it's easy to say that what if, and like, it's easy to get stalled out. And I just think that that's such a, it's such a, like, I I feel so free because I haven't had it for so long, but I do know what it feels like. I do know what being stuck and stalled out and being, like, only confident in this one thing feels like. I always think back to the 2016 season. It was the last year that I hunted from tree stands mostly. It was the last deer I shot from a tree stand. I know that's not true. I guess in 17 I did, but even that I shot that buck out of a tree stand, but the hunt, hunt was so, it was, uh, so different. It was a, a bump and dump, like straight up did a deer drive to see what would come out, saw him, shot him. That's it. Saw him come out, shot him a couple days later in that same bedding area. So again, don't give him too much credit. He came back. So that was one of the examples of the bumps, but the last buck that I shot out of the tree stand prior to that was 
rut hunting, go find the spot. It was going to be on some edge downwind of a bedding area and just sit there. And like, that was so, it was so crazy because there's this part of you that's like, God, I got to do something different. But then there's this other part of you that's like, well, this has always worked. And yeah, it always has worked. And at some point it probably will work if you got the days for it. But is that really what you want? Is that what you want to just sit there and hope and wait? Because like you might take a hunt that might have taken five or six days to get that opportunity. You might just shrink it down to like two or three, maybe, maybe not two. But if it's already not working or it's already not working at the you know, pace that you want it to, why not just get out and try something different? Like, man, every single time, every single time that that happened, that's what, I mean, really these, like most of these bucks in here, the ones that are the ones I've shot in the last five years or so. And it's just like every one of them was just something different was like, not just the same old day, not doing the same thing. It wasn't hardly ever like, Doing the same thing for four days finally paid off. Never. Like, never. It's always like, you know what? Let's go try this totally different piece of public land. Let's go try to do a wind bump. Let's go try to, you know, bump a buck or, you know, let's go find a buck better with a doe or something. I mean, whatever it is, it's just like, let's just do something different. Every time I've made those moves, it ends up being something that generally tips me off at the bare minimum, you know? Yeah. So. But I, I think about the same thing. Like uh, most of my public land kills have just been a what if situation or like, or mm-hmm. like a, I just get curious about an area. Like what, why are they here or there? Or like, why don't I ever go to this spot or does anybody hunt here or why, like, why aren't they here? And then you just go like, I got to see something different. Like I got to, I just have to go look at something. And elk is like a prime example of that. Like, man, if yeah. you hunt like the last week of the Colorado season in your over the counter unit, you just have to be like, like, what if, like, what if those bulls just like hold up here below the trail in this black timber hellhole, mm-hmm. and you know they're not making a bunch of noise, but they're concentrated there. Or mm-hmm. you look at a map and you look at the you know trailhead here, trailhead here, and this loops around here, and there's this one little basin. Like, what if they're there? And, you know, you walk into them sometimes, especially like, you know, when you talk about e-scouting, you're like, that's my spot. That's my spot. That's my spot. And you walk into two out of every three, you're like, it's not my spot. But Mm -hmm. one of them, or when you're walking from one to the next one, you're like, holy shit, this is my spot. Like, Mm -hmm. I just, just by asking the question, like, what if? And I I think that's like, I, I think there's like so much value there. And I think people probably listen to this and they go, well, yeah, if you're on public land or you're on an elk hunt. And man, I started doing that on the private spots I have to hunt yeah, everywhere, and even little like 30 acre private land spots. Like, does like, are they ever in that willow thicket there? Like, is there a way to set up on the ground there? And then you go in there and you're like, there's more deer here than I think on the rest of the 30 acre, you know, you know, like you have those moments and you go, okay, now I question everything. Yeah. Well, I, I often get the question, like when you're going into a spot, you know, what is it that you see that makes you feel confident or whatever? And I mean, I ask myself that all the time too. And like, I don't really even know. And I wish I could, I wish I had a better way of explaining this. I still haven't nailed it down, but it's like, just go at a speed at which you feel pretty confident that you're balancing covering ground and looking for deer, looking for sign, 
and just start going off the trail. Just get away from where the people are and just start trying it and just start covering ground. And like so many people just, again, have that locked into their head where there's just so many times where we, all of us, myself included, get in our head like, oh, we don't want to bump a deer out of here. What if he is over there and we bump it? Well, you're not really going to learn anything if you don't, and you, especially if you set up on something that you don't feel totally confident and you don't see him, and then you keep moving. It's like maybe he was just a little bit further. Maybe that, maybe what you needed to figure out was just a little bit further, and like, it's just you break away, like... <laughs> It's like, just take whatever weight's on your shoulders and just get rid of it and just go hunt like you don't have, like you care none because you shouldn't. Yep. And I honestly think, man, if people like just, again, stop giving Buck so much credit and just start hunting where the sign is, just play it loose. We always have this joke like, hey, we'll play it loose. Keep it loose, man. Because like, as soon as you start overthinking it, which is a terrible habit of mine, like, I'm saying this, like, keep in mind, the days that you don't see on video, a lot of days are me just, like, thinking about it too much. Yep. And I sit there, and I'm, like, stressing out, and I'm worried about stuff, and it's like, the days that it works out are the days that we're like, you know what, let's just walk in here and see what happens. Yep. Or, like, I shot a buck in North Dakota a couple of years ago, and the progression of that was we found a spot with, with some whitetails. We saw a nice buck saw a handful of small bucks the next morning went back did not see the big buck and it was like you know is this really really where we're going to get the opportunity that we want where you know we can you know hang with one till he beds down and, and stalk him and it was like this just isn't it like it could happen but he's probably going to bed in timber where we can't see him and that apparently was what he had done that morning because we didn't see him so we just said you know what let's just walk the whatever it was, like two and a half miles back to this other spot, get to a high point where we can glass, and we started seeing some bucks. It's like, okay, so that's stage one of this story. Stage one is we see this little group of bucks, eight point in there in velvet that I would have shot, and then there was another buck with like a funky antler, and he was shedding his velvet, and he was kind of bullying the other bucks around, but the, the eight point in velvet was a buck. I'm like, I'm going to go for him. And we actually made a move on him the first night. Didn't end up getting him. Didn't ever even see him once we got down in the zone that he was in. But the next morning, it was like, we're probably going to see him in here if we come back. So, again, we get back to that point where we're glassing. We see him and his buddies the next morning, sure enough. And they and they go into a bedding area, a thicket, and kind of lose track of them. No, they're, like, no, they're in this tiny little area, but don't know exactly where his body is on the ground. I get to thinking to myself, you know what? The hell with this. I'm bored. Like, I'm so tired of sitting here and, like, been doing it now for, like, what feels like two days. So it's been, like, an afternoon, a couple hours, and then a couple hours in the morning. But for me to sit in one spot that long, too long. So I just start walking down the ridge. And I've got, I think, just my binos. Maybe I had a spawning too, but I'm just walking down the top. And I'm, like, obviously, I'm, like, hiding behind the terrain, but I'm going and peeking over. And I get all the way to the end of this ridge where it starts to play out into, into the river. And I'm, like, like, this feels weird. Like, I feel like I'm somewhere where I should, you know, like Big Buck lives down here. And I just, as soon as I started to get that feeling, I jumped some pronghorn, which was abnormal. Like they're tucked in this really weird spot where nobody had ever bumped them. And I was like, that also tipped me off to like something's, 
unique here because it's not like we've been seeing these things everywhere. And I went and I peeked over the other side, and that's when I saw this big eight-pointer, and he's standing there feeding completely by himself. Now, I tell that story to just say, like, I couldn't even explain to you the carelessness that I have walking over there. And not to say that in a negative way. I mean that in a good way. Man, what was going to go wrong? Like, those bucks that had bedded and I couldn't see, they weren't going to spook. Maybe maybe I get a different angle on them. I get eyes on them. Or I see this bigger buck and end up killing that one. And that's exactly what happened is I moved down there. Had I not moved down there, I might have not seen that deer for, you know, ever. And it's just so funny to, like, get so locked into the same old, same old. And, I mean, I do it all the time. On the flip side, I'll tell one quick story. Hold on, um, hold on one second. I'm pretty sure that's the buck that you could have waved at me across that river. By the way, buck that you could have waved when you at. when you killed him. We heard you guys celebrating. Really? Yeah. When Are you I, serious? When I went to get my buck that I shot, I could wave at one of your cameramen up on the hillside. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. No joke. My buddy was actually uh, piecing out a meal deer across the river when you guys were cheering about your buck. Are you serious? Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, and I was like, hey, can you guys pan that camera down <laughs> and not show these landmarks? Yeah, I, try, I tried on the, on the video when I saw that because I was like, no freaking way. I, I, I think you can see me glassing in one of your videos. I, I remember seeing other hunters, so I probably yeah. saw you. Yeah. I definitely saw other hunters when I was up on that ridge. Yeah. It's hilarious. One of them was me. <laughs> One of them was you know, me. Now that I think and, about it, I do remember Minnesota plate because you have Minnesota plates. Yeah. So that that was a wild hunt because it was covered in people. It was an opener yeah. hunt. Mm-hmm. I went out. I think I killed on the second day of the season. I can't remember because you killed. That was on the third day. I believe. Yeah, you killed the morning that I was tracking my buck. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I shoulder shot a velvet buck out there and got like no penetration, and I was like son of a bitch like this is this is not going to work out well but you know how it is out there i went out the next morning and my buddy killed up the river my other buddy killed down the river and i was glassing just to see before i went to spot and stock that deer because i or to to blood trail i'm sorry and i saw a freaking coyote like 600 yards away run over to something and drop his head down and i'm like no way and i just watched the first coyote find my buck and i walked out there and he was laying there dead Jeez. And you guys crazy. were up on the freaking hill. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. I didn't even know that. I didn't ever know that that was true. Yeah. That's so hilarious. Yeah. We got a little excited about that one. Yeah. You probably, yeah. I could imagine the screams were heard from a while, a ways away. Dude, the, the quality out there. I mean, it's different now. You know, when I, when I first started hunting that spot, the first time I found it, that was like 2010. Uh-huh. There was, there were like 15 bucks that were visible there that were all shooters like uh-huh. like unreal and it's not the same the, the secret's out yeah. but even then now now i've seen it switch where you know it you, they used to be so visible now they're not but mm-hmm. they're there yeah and so instead of just like glassing wide open stuff and what they you know like they go walk along the river and they fight in the like nope now you see these little pockets of timber and you see them like working the edge and browsing and like you see this the behavior is different but they're still there so it's mm-hmm. like, a, you know, like the tactic that you had when it was easy, not so much anymore, mm-hmm. but they're still in play. You just got to figure out like now, now they're like, there's too many freaking 
dudes on this river bottom. <laughs> yeah, when I when we were there, it was pretty overwhelming with the amount of um, people. And so that's an important part of that that whole experience for me too. Is like it was like everywhere we went, it was like we're seeing these people. And then when we saw a big buck, finally one of the nights, and then we decided to bail from that spot. That was a hard that was a hard decision to make because we had seen a nice buck that I was plenty. He didn't end up being as big as the one I ended up getting lucky enough to get eyes on, but it was like to pull away from one that you knew was like a no brainer. Like that's a, that's a buck that I would commit some days to. And that's another thing. I mean, I think that's one thing that I feel like as, as I've gotten more experience, I've gotten more interested into a little bit is like, if I do start to find that and it, and it depends, certain situations are different. But it's like if you start to see a, like a tendency where you're like, ooh, I'm starting to see these bigger bucks, that's when I will start holding out a little bit more. I wouldn't say that I – and that can be that can be super – like a, a very bad decision in some situations too because it's easy to be like, you know, oh, this is the standard that I'm going for. And then all of a sudden you've spent way too much time trying to find that. And then that, that that's hard too, but um, – but I have had a, I've had had a lot of fun and had learned a lot of things. Actually, this is completely this is mule deer hunting. But I hunted the same buck, which is the first time I've ever done that. I hunted the same buck for like seven days in New Mexico last year, and it was like one of the most fun, most memorable experience. Definitely one of the most memorable experiences that I've ever had without shooting a deer, and that was like just because it was fun to watch how, and now it's a visible yeah. a situation where you get a lot of visibility, but just watching how he was hiding from other hunters because he picked up on the patterns of what everybody else was doing. It was, it really helped for whitetail hunting too, because it's just like, man, like sometimes they're right under your nose. Yep. Like one of the times that we lost him for a couple of days, he was actually just tucked right up against the road in this little valley. And it's just like had had we kept and that's that there's another thing it's like that's a situation where you keep doing the same thing and we had lost him for like a day day and a half maybe two maybe almost two days we decided to go in a different route hit a different angle and it's like there he is laying right up in a spot where nobody could see him and it's just like had we never made that change had we kept going to our same glassing spot we would have never found him again and it's just so funny how change makes such a big difference you know it's amazing how often when you leave the road or the access from a way that people usually don't what you run into mule Mm -hmm. mule deer are a prime example of that because people want to glass them from their truck if they Mm -hmm. if they can you know and those deer figure that out so quickly and so instead of being seven miles in a lot of times they're 300 yards in in just over the hill and not in the night yeah not the nice basin that you can glass they do it all the time I've never seen anything so consistent. Like everywhere I go, this is something else that I, I try to do. And it kind of helps with that, like find the thick spot and go to it. It's like, what's everybody else doing? Like, where are these parking areas? Where's the, you know, where, 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 how are people accessing it? How are people mostly hunting? And then how can I do something different? Well, this situation was easy. We were hiking to the top of a mountain every morning and glassing from the top and Every single hunter that we saw was driving and glassing from the road. And it's like, like you can easily take one look at the map and say, well, I can't see like 
at least 50, bare minimum 50% of this whole range from being at the bottom. And it's just so crazy, like how you can look at that tendency and use that to your advantage. And like that can be done anywhere. And I, I, I definitely notice it in elk hunting and turkey hunting probably the most where you can easily find a trend like are people calling a bunch maybe with turkeys maybe with elk same thing am i hearing a bunch of bugles or am i hearing a bunch of guys pull up and you know crack on a call real loud a box call or a crystal call it's like if that's the case maybe i tone it back a little bit yep. and i feel like just finding that tendency doing something different is is just something i always like to try to keep in the back of my mind too because it's really helped especially in situations like that. Yeah, I didn't kill the buck. I blew both stocks that I made <laughs> that I got close, but well, heartbreaking. That, but <laughs> that's, that's what happens mostly when you spot and stock mule deer. Uh, two, two quick questions before we wrap this up. The first one, just what's, what's the hardest state you've ever hunted? What's the one where you're like, man, the whitetails in this state kick my ass. I mean, I hate to say that because then people get a chip on their shoulder. <laughs> um, say it anyway. The one that the one that we struggled with the most was that Georgia hunt that I was I don't remember if that was before we've been talking a long enough time that I can't remember if that was on here or not, but I was with my friend Keith and we were hunting in Georgia and we just struggled and we eventually got on them, but it it was just a struggle. And with that being said, I think that I've had a hard time in any east like you just run down the line of the Appalachian mountains, any state that's touching those I've had, I've had big timber, Eastern big timber is with hills or mountains, whatever you want to call it. That is where I, I truly enjoy it though. Like I probably like it and I'm, I was drawn to it as anywhere just because I do know it's going to kick my ass. And I, I feel like physically I'm capable, but mentally I'm not there. And that's what I like. It's like I can go run around in the mountains and have a blast, get a hell of a workout every time. But then also just like challenging myself. And when I get done with those hunts, the, the, the mental part of it is like tough. Your brain is like fried. So I'd say anywhere eastern in the Appalachian Mountains or anything that's foothill touching it i mean it's all that's all tough stuff which i love it i do love it what last question what's the dumbest thing you've seen a big buck do that wasn't an iowa buck Uh, oh what's one where you just killed one and you're like i cannot believe he just did that okay there's there's definitely going to be something good here um oh shoot what is the dumbest thing Got to look at your wall of uh, European mounts for some inspiration. Just different, just different. uh, The one, I mean, there's been, there's been some, the bumping ones are always interesting to me, but I understand why they do it. Um, The one, okay, here's one. And I don't, I, I, not to like make this buck out to be a fool because I don't think he was, but in, in New York, this buck had a doe pinned to the road or I'm sorry, pinned to a fence line. And the road was really close. We saw him from the road. He's with this doe. Big punk, too. Like, by far the biggest thing we had seen in the whole area. Like, for days. This is day six. I think up to this point, we had seen, you know, just a basket rack buck. 
So we see this thing with a doe and he's defending another buck and his position based off where he was in relation to that paved road. It's like, it made sense, but only when they were vetted because as soon as he'd stand up, he was in the wide open. So he made, he made that decision, which wasn't really the end of the world. Cause like I said, once they bedded down, you couldn't see him, but we started, I, I lost track of him cause they bedded down, climbed a tree, got eyes on him again. When he stood up, it actually bred the doe. And then I got down and started to make a stop on him. And when he, when he, okay, so this is, this is where it gets kind of interesting and where he made some bad decisions and I made some good decisions and it just worked out. I was watching Dylan who was filming and he was up in that tree that I had spotted him from. So he's off to my left. The buck's kind of straight in front of me and I'm going down a timber or a, it wasn't a timber edge. It was like a fence row edge. On the other side of it was the private, the public land line was this fence row. So I'm kind of walking right down, you know, my side of the fence on the public. He, the wind is coming from that fence line to my left and the sun is setting over that fence row as well. So shadows. And he stands up with that doe. I realize this is my opportunity to start cutting distance fast because I can see his antlers. And as I'm making my moves, he's all of a sudden, I didn't realize what it was at the time, but he starts running towards me, like just bounding, like afraid, like something spooked him. Well, a vehicle had dri driven past, alerted him, and he takes off running towards me. Well, as he's doing that, I had enough time and I had a spot picked out in the shadows that I just went right for that. Tucked down in there, got low, crouched, covered my eyes and my face with my bow cam. And this is where he made a pretty, where he let the doe get the best of him. He started thinking, he knew that there was something wrong there, but he didn't know what it was. And because he never saw me move, he just started to eventually let it go. And he eventually started looking back at that doe. And he started to circle downwind of either me or the doe. I'm not sure because either way he was putting the wind at his butt and he was starting to make him move out into that tall grass. And he, and he eventually just kept looking towards that doe and I let him do it enough to where he started to really trust me. And then I drew somewhere in between. And when he looked the last time I literally stood up and I could have been standing in the, you know, wide open on the fairway. It's like, he could have saw me so easily. And I just stood up and shot him at 20 yards and he just looked, was looking the other way. And like that, that was the dumbest, that was the dumbest thing. But like anytime you get a big buck with a bed bedded with a doe, it doesn't matter if he's in Iowa or if he's in the hardest, you know, pressured area in the country, like he's going to get foolish. He's going to let his guard down. And, and to me, it's not as much about the buck making that mistake. It's about you taking advantage of his foolishness. Yep. And if you can do that, that's, that's when the best time of the year, I mean, November 17th, if you can bow hunt and you can get eyes on a buck with a doe, that's the best time to hunt in the world. Yeah. I'd take that day, any day of the week. Recognize when they, they're just, they're not on their A game. Not on their A game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Zach. I, I always love chatting with you, buddy. You know, THP fame, everybody knows where to find you. Thank you so much for coming on, man. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I've had a blast talking. That's it for this week, folks. Be sure to tune in next week for some more Whitetail goodness. This has been Where to Hunt, and I'm your guest host, Tony Peterson. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you're looking for more Whitetail content, please check out themediator.com slash wired to see a pile of new articles each week from Mark, myself, and a whole slew of Whitetail addicts. Or head on over to the Wired to Hunt YouTube channel to view the weekly content we put up. 
Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. 